0: Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Direct Edition. I'm your host, Dave, the 2024 Hobby Hero Award winner, corporate shill in the house. And this is a podcast about well, whatever I want it to be. That's because it's my podcast. Hey, everybody. Yeah, well, it is February 9th, and it's been a bit since I've recorded one of these because I'm running myself pretty ragged. Uh, I'm exhausted. I went to OAX, the first ever Original Art Expo hosted by comic art fans. That was about a week and a half ago in Florida. And I flew out to Orlando. And then after that, I went to visit my parents who live in South Florida. And uh, it was good to see them. But it's, you know how it goes. You've got older parents and uh, you've got to devote a lot of your attention to just everything but what you want to do. And it's not my type of vacation, but I do enjoy seeing my parents. They are really great people. Even if they do drive me up the wall sometimes, but I guess all is fair, right? You know, I was a, a kid for <laughs> for a long time. Even after I was eighteen, I was still a kid, and uh, they put up with a they put up with a lot of shit too. So I guess turnabout is fair play, right? Isn't that what the uh, phrase is? I don't fucking know. I'm never having kids, so I I don't know what it's like to uh, be a parent. Um, <laughs> so. So that's, that's where I'm at. And, you know, I immediately came home and went back to work editing uh, the OAX video, which is up on the YouTube channel now. Uh, it was about six hours of footage or no, maybe like three hours of footage that I had to whittle down to about 55 minutes. But the video is great. And if you haven't watched it yet, it's really um, it was such a fun time. I spent quite a bit of money. I didn't spend as much as I thought I would going in because I didn't end up buying any really expensive McFarland pieces. There wasn't a ton there. And uh, didn't see any Larson, no Ryan Otley. I saw a lot of Sankiewicz, but the really good stuff was super expensive. And the stuff that was on the cheaper side, I didn't fall in love with. And if you're spending a lot of money on a collectible or collectibles, you really want to be in love with the piece that you're buying, especially when it comes to art. And so I didn't fall in love with anything there that I really needed to have that I didn't buy. But the overall experience was great. It'll yield a couple of interviews. One of them I'm doing today uh, for the YouTube channel. That's Jim Mafood or Jim Mafood. I'm going to have to ask him where the emphasis on on his name goes. He's a great artist. He is a madman. Uh, you know, somebody that is influenced by Jamie Hewlett, Bill Sankiewicz, George Pratt, and, and so many other great artists. He's a very... Uh, I don't even know how to say it, like well-rounded artists. He's got his style, but done a bit of everything. And if you're into just really good art and he's a really nice guy. So I'm looking forward to talking to him today. That's going to happen in about two hours. And by the time you hear this, the interview will be up on the YouTube channel and I'll transfer it to the uh, podcast in a couple weeks. Yeah, the Florida trip was good. Uh, just exhausting. And I'm not a fan of the state. Uh, I had posted the, in the video, in the OAX video, I see something like, uh, I went down to Florida, a.k.a. hell, and look, that's my opinion of the state, and I am i know it's not everybody's opinion, but it's also a lot of people's opinion, including my parents don't really like it, but they live, they retired there, and, and they live with uh, in a community with a lot of the friends that they grew up with. Somebody had commented on the YouTube video, like the first comment, or maybe it was like the fifth comment that came in after the OAX video dropped was, why is Florida hell, Dave? And I I just couldn't – I'm not going to be goaded into a fucking YouTube fight with somebody that literally took one sentence from a 55-minute YouTube video about comic book art and decided to comment on that. Like that right there is the indication that this person wants me to say something political or they want me to say something else. And look, I don't give a fuck. I just didn't want to waste my energy going back and forth with a person. But, uh, you know, it's like, how about your roads? It's like driving in Mad Max Fury Road. Everybody drives 95 miles an hour. Nobody signals. And uh, it's fucking chaos. Or I could have just wrote two words, Ron DeSantis or every governor that they've had. But anyway, I'm not going to get into politics on this podcast either. Uh, The only good thing about Florida is one day it'll be underwater and the Gators will take over. And that means we will have an all alligator society which means that nature is going to bounce back and honestly fuck humans animals are better and if you don't agree with me go look at your dog and be like you're not good and then you'll feel sad or your cat or your parakeet moving on uh (laughs) when you own your own business you are the one who gets the profits you make all the money for yourself uh, especially a sole proprietor business. You do not have employees, so you don't have anybody to talk to during the day, nor do you have anybody to uh, give jobs to do, Uh, delineate, maybe that's the word, delineate jobs to do. When anything goes wrong, you are the customer service and you're the only person that's going to fix it. None of that was a negative. It was just stated fact. But when I go away Uh, And I have to, you know, obviously pause sales. I have to ship everything out. And this trip uh, landed, I, I left on a Thursday. So that means, or I left on a Friday. So that means all I was able to ship was Thursday. There was a lot of stuff hanging in the balance. And the way my brain works, the compartmentalization of my jobs, I like to get everything out. I don't like waiting five days to ship something. I just want it sold and out. That way, it's easy for me to move stuff in, move stuff out. Uh, Once again, I am the only person doing this. So going away means I have to pause everything and and everything's on a delay. Uh, Content has to be made. I have to do editing on the road, which is all fine. I enjoy editing. I enjoy creating video and audio content. That's why I'm doing this. Nothing that you're ever seeing me put out is something I don't want to put out. So it's a love that I have for this, but it's work. And so coming back to this and then having to prep for a big Wednesday sale, it just puts a lot of pressure on myself. And I know people have said, oh, you could get somebody to work for you. But the problem is in this business I own, I'm not a control freak, but I like to have everything done the way I like it done. I would have to train somebody There would have to be somebody that can do some of the things that I do in the way that I do them. I've thought about outsourcing and hiring an editor. For YouTube and for the podcast. But the problem is if you listen to me and you watch my content and you're, you know, you're, I guess I'm going to say the word fan or friend, then you enjoy my voice. And I don't just mean the vocalization of my vocal cords. I'm talking about the way that I narrate Visually, uh, the way that I edit, the cuts, the humor, all that stuff. And that's one of the things that I absolutely fucking love. I love to edit and I love to make these silly little things and these little inside jokes because it's just who I am. And so if I were to hire somebody, it would just be tough to be like, oh, I have to train you to think like me, which is a terrible idea. Oh my God, you don't want to be inside my head ever. Ever. Uh, sometimes the outside voice is the inside voice. And, uh, you know, there are people that, that laugh at it and enjoy it. And then there are people like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? And you know what? I have an answer for you. I don't know. So this all wraps up into the fact that it just, it's a lot of work doing this. And I think about slowing down sometimes, or like, I don't know, pacing myself. And I don't I don't know how. I'm an all-or-none person. It's really tough for me to go 50 miles an hour. It's either zero or 100. One of the reasons why, you know, the alcoholism I talked about in a couple episodes ago and just the way that I have an addictive personality, it's just that way. I mean, and the addictive personality also, you know, in the collecting, the way I've collected things in my life and just a lot of aspects of it. I I spent a lot of time in my young life as a half-ass Just doing things fucking not with any passion. And when I learned to focus my passion, that also mixes with an addictive personality. So you get all or none. You get, you just go in for it all. And I'm not really terribly afraid of failure anymore in this because, you know, I just got Todd McFarlane on the channel. How can I call myself ever or ever think about failing as an option when you went and got the biggest name you wanted? Uh... It just leads to burnout, and so I'm just trying to figure out how to not prevent that from happening because it'll happen eventually no matter what. But just a way to kind of go 75 miles an hour. How about that? And in that, I'm I'm thinking about new things like maybe doing, if you follow the YouTube channel, then you know every Wednesday, unless I'm out of town, uh, is a sale. And with that, I I have to always pick out really good books to sell. I don't always have them coming in. Sometimes I go four weeks without buying a comic collection. Whereas sometimes I just have a bunch of books that are, you know, I pluck from a little reserve of big books to, to put out sometimes so that there's some eye candy in that preview photo. But I'm thinking that maybe I scale back and I do a sale every two weeks. But in that, I still go live every Wednesday and alternating with the sales is like just a live chat, or I can bring on a guest and have a live interview. That way people have something to look forward to on Wednesday, even if it's not buying books. Plus it gives people a chance to rest their wallets. I'm not trying to make anybody go broke by my business model. I just enjoy selling comics. It's what I do for a living. But that could prove to be something that builds a bigger community also like oh you know he's not just selling every wednesday he's doing something different and it would give me a break and that way every two weeks it would be a bigger spectacle the sales although you know i do also keep in mind that wednesday is synonymous with new comic book day but if you're not a wednesday warrior as they call it then you just want to buy vintage comics every wednesday well you know that that's what I'm trying to provide in general. Just trying to think of new ways to keep everything kind of running smoothly without scaling back completely on everything because it does get tiring. I love the idea of doing this podcast. It is not always easy to just sit here and talk by myself. Today I'm feeling talkative. I am, like I said, talking to Jim Mafood, and I know some of the things I want to ask him about. And I have a feeling some of the conversations we're going to get into. Uh, music is definitely one of them, and I'm going to make that a a pretty sizable part of this podcast going forward, because I I use music as a crutch. I always have, and uh, maybe not a crutch, but a shoulder to lean on. I always found this cathartic thing. I don't think I recognized it early in my life as a teenager, but when I got into my my moody-ass fucking, my moody-ass 20s, and uh, I started meeting some new people and going to see some shows and uh, broadening my musical horizons my musical palette, I started to really rely on music as, yeah, like a shoulder to cry on, a therapist, you know, just the way that you find solace, the way that you find comfort in somebody else's feelings. It's it's this amazing thing. I don't necessarily find it in movies. Movies are more of an escape, you know, I just shut off and go into another place. But music is so personal. I, and and obviously, it can be very surface. It can be very aesthetic. Um, you know, you can look at pop music as, as you know, being a surface thing. But there are great pop singers and pop stars that have masked real great lyrics in catchy hooks. You could look at stuff like rap as um, both ways. I, I think rap is one of those things. Maybe metal and rap are two of those genres. And I don't listen to everything. I'm not one of those people that, oh, I listen to everything. I listen to a lot. But you could look at rap and metal as two things. It's showmanship. It's it's uh, a fiction, right? There are a lot of rappers that would rap about being rich before they got rich. You know, it's like, will it into existence? There's a lot of metal bands that sing about like uh, mythology or stories like based on, I mean, they're not metal. But Zeppelin, you know, Zeppelin and I, I it was heavily influenced by Token. Um, there's a lot of bands that get influenced by fictional writing. Um, Metallica was one of those bands that I got into at you know pretty young age. I think I saw the video for one when I was 10. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And me and my brother were like, holy shit. And, and then Black Album came out and uh, changed my life. Because then I started going back and listening to Metallica from the beginning. And it was just like, wow. And they were you know, they were activists in their own way, always singing about the horrors of war. But then they were, you know, influenced by um, by Lovecraft in a lot of songs. And, and so, you know, it's a little bit of both. And rap, I got into rap probably around the same time. I can't remember what the first kind of rap artist that I, it might've been LL Cool J. But when I discovered NWA, I was like, holy shit. And obviously that's not fiction. That was activism also mixed in with, what those guys grew up around fuck the police is just such a powerful song straight out of Compton such a power all their songs are so fucking powerful and they sung about drugs and women and all that stuff but the stuff that really hit me was the like the exposure to what those guys grew up in 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 Los Angeles and you know obviously there are other people that came up around that time I mean Tupac is another obviously outstanding example of somebody who was a little bit of everything he was a poet he was an activist he sang about all of the outlandish things that he was doing too but the stuff that spoke to me was the the nitty gritty and then another uh, rap group that i took to at a young age and i i guess that was me and my brother got into them was tribe called quest and they were a different style they were you know they were new york they were queens long island and they were singing about a little bit of everything it, it was just such a, a A brilliant time to be listening to rap music in the late 80s, early 90s. I never really got into Biggie. Honestly, didn't really know much about Biggie until around, you know, like before he was murdered. Like the year year or two before he was murdered. Uh, I I just wasn't exposed to it. But the West Coast stuff, I was fascinated by. Absolutely fascinated by. Music, as a young person, for me, was just kind of getting into it. You know, my parents had their stuff that they listened to, which influenced me. My dad's a huge Doors fan. I love the Doors growing up. My parents are both huge Beatles fans. I was a huge Beatles fan growing up. You know, they lived, my dad listened to the Moody Blues. And, you know, so I had a really good musical upbringing. But it was it was Guns N' Roses that uh, I took to. That was the first band that was mine. Uh, Weird Al was the first musician that I listened to, that I was a fan of, that just came out of nowhere. But then Guns N' Roses, I remember second grade. I hear people talking about Axel this, Axel that. It was my buddy Jason. And I... My brain immediately went to, oh, they're talking about Beverly Hills Cop, thinking Axel Foley. That's the only Axel I knew as a kid. And sure enough, I was wrong. And they were talking about Axel Rose and this band called Guns N' Roses. And it was 1987. And I guess Welcome to the Jungle had just come out and Appetite had just come out. And it was a couple weeks later, I was in the mall with my grandma and my mom. And we went to Record Town. This is the Walt Women Mall, Long Island, Melville. What up? Shout out, place that I had my first job too. And we went into I think it was Record Town or Sam Goody, which I think is owned by the was owned by the same company. But uh I asked my mom and my grandma, can I get a tape? Because I saw Appetite for Destruction. And my grandma said, I'll buy it for you, but you have to do your homework when we get home first. And I was like, Okay. And, you know, I'm second, third grade, whatever. And got home and I did my homework and pop the tape into my dad had really nice stereo because my dad was an audiophile and uh, still is, I guess not as much as I am and uh, start blasting guns N' roses. I think that might've been my first, uh, my mom's first ever like true regret because you get to, uh, you get to uh, the second track, which is it's so easy. And it's like, (laughs) I see you standing up. You think you're so cool. Why don't you just uh, nah, 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 fuck off? And, and, you know, obviously the entirety of, of Appetite for Destruction is laced with profanity. And um, I think that's probably why I started cursing. Uh, I heard it. That was the first time I had heard, you know, every word under the sun. Yeah, I think everything is used motherfucker and fuck and bitch and shit and ass. And, you know, like all of these words and, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, eight years old or something. But that started me on a path. And then, you know, obviously the late 80s, early 90s, I'm, I'm you know, I heard Smells Like Teen's Spirit" for the first time. And my love for the Seattle scene just absolutely grew exponentially day by day. And Pearl Jam ends up being, you know, my die. I'm a diehard Pearl Jam fan. I've seen them 40 times live. I've met the band like that is my all time favorite band. It just started me down this path of absolutely just falling head over heels for Everything about music and my my love for punk music all around, the punk ethos, the way that the word exists, not some type of like, oh, you're not punk. NWA, Nirvana, those are punk bands. I don't give a fuck what you say. Those are punk bands. The Seattle scene, those guys were all punks. Uh, But then I got into Green Day, obviously, because I was a kid when Dookie came out. And then I went back and listened to, you know, 1039 Smooth Out Happy Hours and uh, Kerplunk, which is still one of my favorite albums of theirs. And I got introduced to stuff like the Dead Kennedys really young and punk ethos is everything that really surrounds, you know, I don't, my ideals challenge the system. That's the way I think it's a way of life instead of being oh you know it's green day sold out and no fuck that shit no band on the face of the earth ever wants to sit make music and be poor okay that's just not how musicians work that's not how people work people make music because they love making music people want to do that for the rest of their life you can't do that without a source of income anyway that's not what i'm here to discuss i started broadening my music horizons but then you know i got i was a jaded teen and you know, I just I I fell. Look, I love new metal, and I think it really does hold a place in music history because it changed. It was the last time that heavy music was radio friendly. In quotes, nine eleven changed all that. You know, but God, there was a time where Corn, System of a Down, Rage Against the Machine, Limp Biscuit, uh, you know, were all on the radio, and uh, you know, nine eleven happened, and literally was a uh was a ban a music a radio ban across the whatever five companies that own all the radio stations that rage wasn't allowed on the radio system wasn't allowed on the radio i mean shit they tried i think they took uh outcast off the radio because of uh you know certain songs that they sang but the way that i look at music there's there's different types and uh, you know i don't even mean genres but there's music that challenges the system across all genres i mean fuck the dixie chicks got blacklisted because they sang a song about the you know they were singing about the bush administration which at that time people were absolutely defending and i'm like fucker what the? they lied they literally lied to start a war um but rap hip-hop uh punk metal there's there's so many people that challenge the system with their music and i think it's super important i always look to music too to kind of find a source of comfort of finding people that share the kind of social social political views that I share. That's why I can't listen to a lot of pop country. I won't listen to pop country because it it just seems to me like it doesn't challenge anything. I was super politically charged during those those Bush administration years because I was I turned 18 in the late 90s and 9/11 happens a couple years later and then, you know, we go into fucking war for a never-ending seemingly a never-ending war so i was politically charged and you know it's like it was weird times because you had all these good bands making very anti anti bush music incubus put out crow left of the murder the first single was megalomaniac was totally targeted at at bush and you know it was a very weird time in the country but my musical takes were changing changing i used to like radiohead in high school and then i got i really was turned off by okay, computer, I was stupid for a couple of years. And, and I realized that and I started listening to them again. I'm like, why the fuck did you ever stop listening to them? It always gave me a source of comfort, just music in general. Um, I got into the Long Island scene, which comprised of a lot of punk emo bands. You know, you got your Taking Back Sunday, your Glassjaw, but I was a huge brand new fan. And that band got me through a lot of hard times. And somewhere in that Early 2000s era, uh, I was introduced to a couple of musicians uh, that changed my life. And if you would a- listened to, it came from the newsstand, the podcast I did with Manu. One of those bands was Frightened Rabbit. Um, I became friends with them. Uh, this great band from Scotland, uh, folk, but very honest, like kind of indie folk. Um, Scott, who was the lead singer, he was just brutally honest. And suffered from depression, and ultimately, he lost his battle, uh, and 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 took his own life. But that band changed me and introduced me to a host of Scottish bands and and people that I'm still friends with. And then one of the other musicians that I was introduced to uh, was recommended to listen to was Kevin Divine, singer songwriter from Brooklyn, used to be in punk band um, as. A lot of kind of indie folk musicians started in either punk or hardcore, especially in New York. It just seems to be a thing. But I started listening to Kevin solo stuff, and it was like this fucking awakening. I don't know. I was just like, I've never heard somebody that, you know, he's got this fantastic voice, highly influenced by, uh, you know, like the way that he sings and the way that he writes his songs, highly influenced by Elliot Smith. And I just fell in love with his music and went to see him a lot because he lived in Brooklyn. Over the years of first couple years of seeing him, I just became friends with him and ended up backing one of his Kickstarters. And he played a show in my apartment. And uh, he was very helpful when I was going through and getting sober. He uh, already had a couple years under his belt. He was very integral in, in just giving me some really good advice, kind words, and just kind of sharing his experience with me. But these connections with music started to really blend with connections in life. And I started going to shows, some smaller shows in New York, some bigger shows, but I ended up meeting or, or, you know, meeting, yeah. Meeting a lot of the musicians I was listening to and forming friendships or at least kind of these, you know, acquaintance friendships. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I put myself in positions where I could meet people and just hang out. And, and I think it was because music was so important to me because I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really ever try and get help or try and, you know, self-care, so I was just using music to do that, and, you know, it worked, it helped, it saved me, I'm still here, and I was able to work through my own problems, but I still have that same relationship with music, where I just, I'm not in a good mood, I put on certain album, I put on a certain song, Uh, you know, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, and uh, Reznor's music has always kind of had a place in the core of me, and it bleeds through, (laughs) pun intended, to the fact that I will listen to his stuff with Atticus Ross, the movie scores and stuff like that, while I'm reading. That has become a huge source of soundtrack for me, for my comic book reading. You know, and I've seen Nine Inch Nails live, I don't know, 16, 17 times. Live music has probably played the biggest source of joy in my life in the first 40 years of my life. Like I said, saw Pearl Jam 40 times, I've seen Nine Inch Nails, yeah, like 16 times. Frightened Rabbit, I probably saw them 25 times. Even my, my buddy Scott even got me into going to Dave Matthews shows. Uh, I used to hate Dave Matthews in high school. And Scott was like, look, I got an extra ticket to go see him at Madison Square Garden. Why don't you come? If you don't like it, you don't ever have to see him or listen to him again. And of course, I fell in love with seeing them live and probably got to see them 15, 20 times over the course of like a decade and a half. I think this is going to be a space where I do speak about music, or at least I'm going to try and get a couple of friends on who are musicians. We're going to talk about, you know, just the creative process of music, the catharsis of music uh, and anything else that kind of falls into place on that conversation. You know, I always think about that list, the 10, your 10 most important albums that you would bring with you on a desert island, a deserted island. And it's funny because like, There's two Jimmy World albums I would probably put on that list, even though I wouldn't put them in my top 10 favorite bands, but Clarity and Futures has always played an important role in my life. And, you know, you might be listening to this and you don't have the same connection to music that I do, but there are landmarks of my life, you know, years that I can barely remember due to, you know, a lot of partying, but put on an album that came out that year or that I was listening to heavy that year. And memories just start flooding back. Death Cab for Cuties Plans came out, I want to say, the summer of 2005. And that was just an amazing summer. I met some really great people, a uh, couple of girls that just kind of hold a place in my heart from that summer. You know, I just add that that, that album floods back memories to me. Guns and Roses, I still listen to Use Your Illusion 2 a lot, uh, even though Appetite was the album that got me into them. Something about time and place for Use Your Illusion 2. Uh, Pearl Jam once again soundtrack of my life so there's an album for different parts of my life nirvana soundgarden alice in chains that's timeless music to me it, it, it like i don't get i don't think about the 90s when i listen to them that's just part of who i am i have such an intimate relationship with music and i hope this connects to some people and i'm sure it will cuz a lot of you that are listening to this are 80s 90s kids or early 2000s and you know, it's funny how the new metal stuff has kind of bounced back. It was ridiculed a lot. And now because it's part of certain people's adult years, early, you know, late teens, early adult years or childhood, everybody's looking back at it fondly. And look, it has a time and a place. You really, you really have to think about what the landscape of music was like in the late, late nineties to early two thousands with the rise of all the boy bands and the female pop singers, uh, you know, Brittany, Christina, and then In Sync and Backstreet Boys, like that was dominating the charts. And there are some people that are laughing at this and like, oh well, I was listening to indie music. I was listening to Panda Bear and Animal Collective and Arcade Fire. Okay, that's cool. Uh, you know, Brooklyn was the scene too. Even though some of those bands weren't from Brooklyn, Brooklyn was the scene. You know, that teach their own. I I don't ridicule people's music tastes at all. I I did that a lot. Scott, you're listening to this. You know how much of a just a <laughs> fucking asshole I was when it came to talking about some of the music. Uh, but I eventually just kind of let myself be less of a snob and opened my mind up to stuff that I wouldn't. And that's what brought Fright and Rabbit into my life. And I thank my buddy Bob uh, for introducing me to them because it wasn't what I was listening to. But sure enough, it, it changed my life. And these days, I'm still listening to tons of music. I I think the last year and change of Or maybe since the pandemic, I I just didn't take on a ton of new music because I didn't find that anything spoke to me. Uh, And then after the pandemic, I felt like there was more music speaking to me. I think people uh, were writing just some things that were, in retrospect, looking back at the pandemic. I think a lot of musicians were writing some better stuff. So far this year, we're only a month in. and I think one of my favorite albums, the Smile album, Wall of Eyes, which the Smile is Tom York and Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead and um, Tom Skinner. And, you know, you could make a case that it sounds like Radiohead, but everything that Tom York and Johnny Johnny Green would do is going to sound like something that Radiohead would make. And it's such a fucking fantastic lush album but yeah last year had some really great albums but the one that really jumps out at me uh was the boy genius album the album which is phoebe bridgers lucy dacus and uh julian baker fantastic album and the foo fighters album the first one after taylor uh had passed away was such a strong emotional album and uh dave grohl one of those people that i've Feel is a pure musical genius, and there's nothing that he's done that I haven't loved, and that's a band that has been with me since their inception, the Foo Fighters, and you know the after Kurt, uh, passed away, you know that's that's somebody that I I will go and I'll die on a mountain. that, You know Dave Grohl is one of the greatest things to ever happen to the fucking human race. He is a joy and a treasure, and just a stand-up dude. I've met him a whole bunch of times, and I can only just say that he is everything that he seems to be. This is just the beginning of kind of me talking about music, and uh, Direct Edition is going to be this thing that just kind of runs the gamut of all the things that I like, and hopefully you can find some common ground to enjoy this on, and you can leave a comment on Spotify. You can always DM me, West Coast Avengers, on, on Instagram. But if there's something else that you want me to kind of explore or go into a little bit more ideas, uh, please let me know. I'm going to make this podcast as accessible to everybody as I possibly can. If you are listening to this on a platform that gives you the option to rate it, please do. Uh, You know, even if you don't normally do that, it would help me and help this podcast get out to more people Uh, obviously subscribing to it makes a huge difference. As for now, I took this off of YouTube. I'm going to make a direct edition YouTube page just for the podcast, uh, because I don't want the double up content to be there. Plus this is going to be more than comics and you know, it just, it just feels like it needs a separate home. But, uh, I, I didn't know where I was going with this and this episode was a way for me to just push the boundaries of what I'm going to be talking about. And I figured if I don't start it early, it's going to feel weird if it shifts, if there's a shift change. Five episodes in, this is not going to be much of a shift change. This is more of just broadening it. So uh, that's that's going to be all. Um, Once again, if you're not subscribed to me on YouTube, West Coast Avengers, every Sunday, there's a new video. And every Wednesday, I'm live either selling or just being live. I'm on Instagram. You can find links in the description for all that stuff. With that, I will give you an a cappella version of November Rain. Do you need some time, some time? You need some Do you need some time, some time? Oh, no. oh, no, no, I need oh, no, need some time, some time. All right, everybody, see you next week.